Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, it is your host, Katherine Moore here. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. So, I wanted to give you a little recap. I know normally for the episodes, we kind of just jump right into the interviews, but I wanted to just take a minute and let you know how this summer has been going for me. It has been a wild ride. I got a new job at the hospital by my house, working all the different units, including the NICU, the women's unit, the emergency department, the intensive care units, the outpatient, the inpatient, like all of the patients. (laughs) And it's been amazing. I've learned so much. The other thing that I have been working on for the past month or so was really getting the word out about the Reimagining Social Work event, an entrepreneurial panel. So we had this a couple days ago on July 10, and it was amazing. It was so good. The response that we got was overwhelming. We had to upgrade my Zoom account just for this meeting because we had over 700 people register for this event, and that gets me so hyped up because it means that the narratives are changing, It means that we are open to the new possibilities of being an entrepreneur. We want to hear from other people who are starting their own businesses. We want to show up to support them. And we want to make change, impact, and income on our terms, not someone else's terms. We see that the systems are broken and we want to figure out new ways that are going to help and serve people. And that gets me fired up. You are never stuck. You have so many versatile skills. Um, I will be sending the replay to my email resource list. So if you missed the event and you want to catch the replay, it will be available for a limited time. Just join the email resource list. The link is in the show notes final project that a group of social workers and I have been working on this summer is the clinical supervisor directory. I am so excited for this because right now there is not a whole lot of resources available for clinical supervisors, available for people who want to become clinical supervisors, or even people who are looking for supervision to obtain their licensure hours. So this is going to be the go-to resource for clinical supervision. It's going to have tools, resources, and support. And of course, it's going to be a 
membership directory where you can go and find new supervisors. So excited for this. We are on in the testing phase. So I am crossing my fingers and toes that we can finally launch in July of 2021. Definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, myself and a group of social workers are putting in so much effort and time to make this all come together and we cannot be more excited to share it with you. So that is all the announcements that I have going on in my end of the world. I'm really excited for this conversation this week. We're going to be hearing with or hear, <laughs> talking to and hearing from Chioma Moranu. She is a therapist, yogi, and public speaker. She identifies herself as a multicultural human. She's helping others connect their mind, body, and soul. Definitely a beautiful human being. I'm so excited to get into this conversation about what it's like being biracial and then how do we develop our biracial identity. So we talk about being mixed race and I can't wait for you to hear her thoughts on being forced into a box. So without further ado, let's hop into it. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me on the Social Workers Rise podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. Thank you so much for coming. Can you can you please pronounce your name for me? Chioma Moronu. Chioma. Okay. It's such a beautiful yeah. name. I didn't want to butcher it. <laughs> You're good. Thanks. <laughs> so I was I was there for your presentation at the Millennial Social Work Conference, and I just loved the presentation that you gave. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to really dive into, you know, race for for a bunch of reasons. One, because it's so prevalent in the United States. I saw, I did a, a quick look. So in two, 2010, 2.9% identified as mixed race, which I think is very low. Um, but I also saw a statistic that Americans are going to be primarily mixed race by like 2050. If we're not already close there. And also too, for my own personal, you know, uh, transparency, I guess, I identify as mixed race and then also to like my family and my daughter are also mixed. So it's just a really interesting topic and the, especially the, the idea of the identity formation. So can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, like how, how are we forming our identities? I, I feel like that's kind of a broad question, but um, if you could just, you know, start there. So essentially, you mentioned the percentage of people that identify as mixed race. What's interesting about the numbers is that the numbers are kind of skewed because not everybody that is mixed race identify as mixed race. Um, and so that's something to note because sometimes when we think mixed race, we often think of black and white or black and Hispanic or white and Hispanic. And so essentially, um, when we think mixed race, oftentimes we don't recognize that everybody that's mixed race doesn't identify as mixed race. 
And so just because somebody has parents of two different races doesn't mean that that identify as being mixed race. So the number sometimes is lower because there was a there was a study that I saw that almost 75% of people that are mixed race don't identify as mixed race. Oh wow. And so yeah, <laughs> which was really surprising to me um, because that's such a huge part of my identity. So just trying to recognize how why that is, right? Why is it that people aren't identifying as mixed race and how that changes their identity formation? Because if you identify as, and part of that can also be societal, right? Is the being mixed race, you're always told to pick one, right? You're either black or you're Asian or you're black or you're white or you're Asian or you're white. Like you can't be both. And people are constantly trying to fit you in whatever box they think you should be in based on physical appearance alone. And so sometimes people will gravitate towards whatever identity that is that they look like because that's telling them they need to do. Um, But and so when we think about identity formation for the biracial and mixed race community, it's important to recognize that being biracial and mixed race is just who we are. Right. We don't have to pick one or the other. We don't have to fit in either box. We're able to be both of those things and we are both of those things. Um, And so being able to grow within that and being able to accept that because there's gonna be times throughout throughout our lives that we're constantly being forced to pick, stand your ground and be like, no, I don't actually have to pick because I am this and I am this as well. Yes, so powerful. And I can relate to the first part that you talked about as far as like, why would someone only pick one race? So when I was growing up, I was raised by my Hispanic grandmother and she, you know, she spoke Spanish and she cooked and like all of the things. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so my other, my other half is white but I didn't identify as white because I wasn't raised around that family. So if you mm-hmm. would have asked me when I was growing up, like, oh, I'm full-blown Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that completely makes sense. Um, I'm wondering, though, you know, what are some things that that people who are mixed, like yourself, like, what are some things that you have to deal with? that other people just don't get or don't understand. It's kind of in our blind spot. So I think one major thing is recognizing that, so for instance, I am Nigerian and Malaysian. So I'm black and Asian and being black and Asian, people have assumptions about what your racial identity is, right? Because Kamala Harris is also black and Asian, but she's not the same black and Asian as I am. And so also recognizing that when we are mixed race or of multiple different cultures, that we're in a space where sometimes those two cultures aren't accepting because you're not enough of one or the other. If you grew up with your only, like you grew up only with your Hispanic family, so you didn't identify as much with your white family. So oftentimes people will put you into one box because you aren't presenting as the other box. And so... I think that one thing that people fail to recognize is the struggle that a lot of mixed race people is that we're constantly having that internal struggle of maybe we're not enough because I'm constantly being told I'm not this enough. So then what am I supposed to do with that? 
and so making sure that we're able to recognize the differences between people and that it's okay to have those differences and not trying to force each other into boxes just based solely on what our perception is what they should be that makes sense yeah i can i'm just kind of thinking about you know what you shared about being black and asian both of those cultures are very proud and very strong in their in their cultures and their beliefs mm-hmm. and i have heard the narratives that like okay well if you don't look like us, then you don't really belong here. And I can only imagine how isolating that would feel, you know, growing up as a kid. I think, and then also there's a, there's this false narrative going around right now, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement. And then everything happening within the Asian community, we are in a space where the Asian community is raised to not speak up a lot, but that's cultural, right? And so oftentimes that's held against them, which doesn't make sense because then you're not taking into consideration their cultural norms. But if you look at the younger generation of the Asian community, most of them are speaking out. They're on the front lines of the Black Lives Matter marches. They're on the front lines of all of these things, but because of the history and the narrative behind the relationship between the two communities, it's really hard being black and Asian right now because it's like you're forced to pick one or the other fight when we don't need to pick either one of the fights. You can be in both fights because both of the fights are going against white supremacy, right? And so recognizing that we don't have to pick sides in order to be able to get our message heard. We can be on both sides and fight for both sides and being Nigerian and Malaysian for me or black and Asian or whatever the case may be, or Asian and white, we can still fight against the oppression and the discrimination happening. And we're not any less in the fight because somebody else doesn't identify us as being completely of that race or culture. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I just think of, you know, when I hear narratives like that, I think of my daughter because she's mixed with with my husband's black and then I'm white and Hispanic. And so when I hear narratives like, oh, well, you know, we're not like almost discounting people who are lighter skin color, who are Mm -hmm. mixed um, from the black community. Like it, it hurts my heart because I'm like, well, where's like, where would she fit in? And then, and then from what I've seen is that and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's important to expose her to people who do look like her, to other kids who are mixed, so that she does know that she's not alone and there is a place for her. Um, it just might not be as, maybe like as many people. I'm not sure if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's just important that in general that we're exposing our, like, it's important to have people that look like you, right? That's mm-hmm. such a huge piece. Um I was part of a mixed Asian um, group the other day, and it was so nice to see so many people that looked like each other, right? Because that's not something that's so commonly seen in the mixed community, because so often there's not very many of us, right? There's fewer of us than there are monoracial people. And Mm -hmm. so being able to see people that look like us. For the Black Lives Matter, well, you're only half Black, so it doesn't impact you as much. But I, when I go into spaces, when I go into the public, I'm not like nobody is 
knows what I am. They just put me into whatever box they think I belong in and then treat me accordingly. Mm -hmm. And so like people aren't going around saying, oh, well, this person, you shouldn't be as racist to them because they're half white. No, they're regardless. Like, so making sure that we're not diminishing somebody's existence because they are half, they're not half of anything. They're whole, they're a complete person. And so being able to stop saying, what are you? Oh, well, that doesn't count because you're only half or those types of things are all things that we need to just stop. Or I really want to have mixed babies. Like being biracial and mixed is not like a commodity that we should be trying to collect. Right. Right. I get that all the time with my daughter. Like, oh my gosh, she's so adorable. I want a mixed baby. Like what? (laughs) It's so awkward. Like it's, yes, our kids are cute. They are cute. Let's stop taking the mixed thing out of it. Let's keep like kids are cute because they're cute. And let's minimize the impact that race is having on their cuteness. Because if they were darker, they would still have been cute. If they were lighter, they still would have been cute. Exactly. Um, And so, yeah. So those are some things that we just need to stop saying to biracial and mixed people. It's like, what are you? Stop saying that. Stop asking that. And also accepting people's answer. If they say they're from searching for additional answers, if the person isn't giving them. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, so true. Though you sound extremely confident, where did you get your confidence and your leadership skills from? So I, oh, I have no idea. No, I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I am the middle of, three sisters. Um, my dad is Nigerian. My mom is Malaysian. I, su- which is surprising. So I have very, so I have a very, my dad is a hundred percent Nigerian, but he is, does not adhere to a lot of the Nigerian norms. And so he raised three very independent and strong-willed women. Um, my older sister is a lawyer my younger sister has her own company. And so it's just something that we, and my mom just does whatever she wants to do. And so we just had really good role models in our lives. Um, and that have always like focused a lot of their efforts in raising us to let us know that we are what we are. And that's just what it is. Um, they never tried to say that we should be anything other than ourselves. And so that was a huge piece of it. But I was also, so was raised, the first half of my childhood was in Indonesia. So a lot of my experience with race didn't happen until I moved to the city. Because I lived in Indonesia, everybody's skin tone was pretty similar to mine. Um, and so it wasn't something that anybody really questioned or anything like that. Like my elementary school, we had our yearbook and our yearbook would say our name and the country that we came from. And because it was all something that we celebrate. And then we moved here to the US. And one of my first experiences here with race was at my elementary school. Um, There were black picketers outside the school that were saying the school district was a victim of social inequality because the school I went to was 99.9% white. And one of the picketers approached my dad and told him that he needed to pull us out of the school because 
they weren't community fairly in the school district. And my dad's like, well, my kids have to get the education. This is the local public school. I don't know <laughs> what you want me to do. So that was my first experience in this brand new country um, was that we are now othered in the school because we didn't look like everybody. There wasn't very many kids that looked like me at that school. Um, and so that was my first experience with race and moving here. But my parents never made like a huge deal about it. They never made it to where it should be something that we should be ashamed of. Um, so I think that was really helpful in terms of getting us to a space that we are accepting of who we are because they were always accepting of who we are. That makes sense. So do you feel like it helped with them not really making it kind of a big deal? It's just like, oh, this is just facts. Yeah, I think that they should be celebrated, right? Because we celebrate Chinese New Year, we eat Nigerian. So it's really important to embrace and to see all you are. And so with when raising mixed race children, like it's important that they see both sides of who they are and all of those things. And so recognizing that we're able to uh, let them be super important. Do you have any tips for therapists or social workers who may be encountering mixed race um, clients? So one thing that's really important is recognizing how the client identifies culturally and racially, right? Um, because I think too often those two are inter are interchanged when they're not the same thing. Because race is just something that's arbitrary in the sense that people are darker because they're closer to the equator and they're lighter as you go away from the equator. Um, and culturally, like, because you like America is a culture, right? So, but being Indian American or being Japanese American or Chinese American, those are all cultures. So you can't just lump them all under Asian because they, all their cultures are so different. And so being able to recognize and have the conversation with your client, how do they identify? Have they experienced any challenges because of that? And then just validating their experience because I know every time I speak to somebody that's biracial or mixed race growing up, we've all had similar experiences. It's that, well, you're not black enough. You're not this enough. You don't talk like you're black. You don't sound black. You don't look black. You don't look this, you don't like, and so it's all these things about that you're not. And so allowing your client to have a space to be able to tell their story and for you to validate their story and validate their experience and then how learn how they can grow through that and be able to accept themselves as whole and that they don't have to fit into one of those boxes because they don't fit. We don't fit. We don't need to fit. We don't want to fit. <laughs> it's not our box. Is there anything else that we miss that you feel is important for social workers to know? Um, I think that it's important to just recognize how we can see how being biracial and mixed race can be like can be the bridge between a lot of communities it's not our responsibility to bridge communities but recognizing that in our experience you can learn a lot about how we can be able to mend a lot of the relationships between communities because a lot of the a lot of the animosity between black and Hispanic community, a lot of the animosity between black and Asian community, a lot of that is being upheld because of white supremacy, right? And so as long as we continue the inner fighting, the mixed race people are all just like, 
what are we supposed to do when the two parts of me are at war with each other when we don't need to be and we shouldn't be and so being able to recognize how we can come together as a whole as a community to lift each other up and lift up people and humans and all the things um, I think is really important. Yes, yes. I love that. Thank you so much, Chioma. I really appreciate you and your time and your expertise and just, you know, everything that you do. I just love the message that you put out there and, um, and just, you know, being here with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for, I really enjoyed having this conversation and spreading the message. It's so important. Definitely. That is what we are here to do. Spread the message. We are just getting started. And with that, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you. We'll talk later. Alrighty. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, This is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.